human rights and youth. What if we could make the European Union accessible for everyone? Our program aims to raise awareness of what the European Union does and promote a European identity among young people. In partnership with Jeff Europe, the New Federalist has the idea to develop this podcast and to provide an online pedagogical and educational tool to translate the sometimes difficult language used by the European institutions, as well as to listen to young Europeans who genuinely believe in our Union and their innovative ideas. I am Afonso Murang, an editorial board member of the New Federalist, and today I have with me Antoise, a brilliant young European who has been studying our Union and is very interested in all its projects, and we have him here with us today to talk about human rights and a little bit before about his experience with our Union. So, welcome Antoise, and I would first ask you please to tell us about your experience, what did you study, and where have you been before getting here? Thank you. Hi, hello, and thank you for interviewing me. So, as you said, my name is Ambroise. And as far as I can tell, I've always felt European. See, I have... I am French, but I have got family in Poland, so as far as I can remember, each summer, with my family, we traveled to Poland and basically crossed the whole continent, which made me realize that there was much more to, to know and to discover than just my country. At the age, some of my classmates hadn't left France. I had already been to like seven, eight different countries in Europe, which was very enriching for me. Then, in high school, I started studying German, and I spent three months in a German family going to school in Germany. At the end of this, um, of my scholarship, I got the French A-level as well as the German one, so I had a really intense European European experience. And then after that, I started studying uh, political science and international relations in France and in Germany. Once again, in two different countries, and each year I would go to France or to Germany to pursue uh, studying, which means that I've never just be confined to a country or to a city. I've always operated, lived, studied at European level. After that, I joined a very interesting initiative that was made by a project called the Genshagen Foundation, which is based in Germany and works together with the, the so-called Weimar Triangle which means the cooperation between Poland, Germany and France. And the goal of this project was we were a group of 20 European students and we went from city to city in Eastern Germany to talk with the pupils about Europe, about the EU and the opportunities they could have there. It was a very interesting project and also very enriching for me to meet other people from all over Europe and just notice how close I felt to them. Um, like they were not strangers, not foreigners, foreigners for me, but they were really people I could understand and get along with. And one of them, she was a young European ambassador, and she told me about the initiative, so I applied and I jumped in actually, and since it's been a year, 
And since yeah, I have the, the, the chance, the chance and the luck to be a young European ambassador and to represent the work of the EU with the countries of the so-called Eastern Partnership and to try to speak up for those countries to make people know them a bit better, to make them discover what Europe is. And it's a really enriching work and I love it. But I wish to have the opportunity to, to keep working together with the EU and with people from, from Europe. Thank you. It's, it's actually fabulous to, to, to realize how the, the young, the European experience you've had because many times many people identify themselves as Europeans apart from being Portuguese or French or German and I can see that in you very well. It's amazing that you had that opportunity to travel across Europe and to study in different countries in our uh, European Union. Uh, once again, thank you. Now we could move toward the second question, which is why is it important to talk about human rights, especially nowadays with, with the, the state of the world as it is? And how is it related to your personal experience? Because you've said you are a young European ambassador, you've been to numerous countries in Europe, you've studied across the continent. And have you ever came across this topic and how and with whom? Please tell us about it. So, um, I think it's very important to talk about human rights because what defines them, or what is told to define them according to the definition, is that they are universal. In other words, everybody on earth, every single human, is concerned by them and should have the same access to them. But what we can observe in today's world is that the human rights are not very well respected and it's quite a worrying situation we have around us. I'm not saying that it's all bad, but if you just have a look around you, you can see that we have problems, we have an ongoing genocide in China with the situation in, the, in Eastern Turkestan, with the Uyghur, we have riots in Iran, where the rights of the half the population, the women, are not correctly respected by the regime. We have still an ongoing civil war in Burma, and we have numerous problems in other places as well. Even in Europe, I mean, we have the war in Ukraine, where the rule of war and things like the Geneva uh, Convention that are closely linked to human rights are not respected today. Even today, the Russian army bombed numerous places where people live, schools, hospitals, and especially as a European, I feel like human rights as a, are a very important topic. I will not teach you anything if I tell if I tell you that as a French. I feel especially related to the question of human rights. We had during the French Revolution the Declaration of the Rights of the Citizen, the Declaration des Droits de l'Homme et du Citoyen, which served basically as a point of reference for us on regard and out of respect for human rights. And in France, even in the worst periods we had afterwards, like the dictatorship of Napoleon III, 
the declaration of the rights of the citizen has never been seriously questioned, which means that for me, it's part of my national culture, my national DNA, I would even say it's been part of it for more than 200 years. Then we had in Europe the European Convention of Human Rights, which, which has been signed in the 50s, I think in, in 1950 actually, and that um, tries to, to support and to establish the principles of human rights in Europe. And actually, if you look at the numbers, you can see that, that Europe is the heart of human rights in the world. When you, when you look at the evolution of human rights protection between the end of World War II and the current days, you can see that all the countries that have formed the best, the best are European countries. Czechia, Netherlands, Estonia, Poland, Norway, they are on the top five of the countries that have outperformed themselves the most between 1945 and today. And I think it's really interesting to see that Europe is doing so great after having been really deep in the bottom of the pit with the both world wars and the Holocaust, obviously. But there comes the other obvious question. Is it so because human rights are a European idea? Some people have pushed the, the question forward. For example, the former Prime Minister of Singapore, whose name I forgot, he once said that Asian values like honor or hard work, they are not really related to the European idea of human rights. And that because of those values, the Asian countries would be better off with the dictatorship than with the democracy. And in fact, Singapore is a dictatorship. Also, Muslim countries have somewhat pushed the idea that the human rights don't respect the Sharia, and that's why Saudi Arabia voted against the UN Charter of Human Rights. This being said, it raises a question, are human rights, European rights, just European values, or are they really international? I think that some elements point towards the fact that they are in fact international. The UN Charter of uh, Human Rights, it's been written by philosophers from all over the world with different religions, different backgrounds, different educations. And I think we can say with the recent examples of the revolution in Iran I talked about recently, uh, in the Arab world in the year 2011-2012 that other countries that are not European also strive for, for the, the rights like we define them in Europe. Regarding the question if human rights are a European idea or something more broadly extended, I, I would uh, like you to go back to a theory that was written that has been written and theorized by a French philosopher of the Renaissance who was called Etienne de la Boétie. Etienne de la Boétie, he had the theory that 
people, some Orient, Oriental people, so it is the Persians, Turks, Arabs, they were slaves of their sultan, of their king, because in their languages they have they have no word to say no. So because of that, they were simply unable to resist the authority of the sovereign because they didn't know it was possible to resist the authority of the sovereign. It's a very bold take that reminds us of the linguistic theory that is called the hypothesis of Sapir and Quo and has been theorized in the 30th of the 20th century, which says that if the language doesn't have a word for something, then the people who speak the language are not able to comprehend the topic. It's an interesting take, but I would say that from the point the, where people in a given country or regime start rebelling against same state regime, it invalidates their theory whether they have the word to say no or not. Because obviously, if they are able to, to revolt, it means that they are not okay with the situation. In other words, that they wish for something else. And if the something else they wish for appears to, 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 to correlate with our definition of human rights, it means a factor that our definition of human rights is universal. Thank you, Ambroise. So, you've already talked about the topic on a European and even global level. Could you explain perhaps uh, to us now the background of, the, of this topic, the human rights topic, at the national level from your point of view and experience? Because we know France is in the very heart of, Euro of Europe and the creation of the European Union and was in some ways the very crib of universal human rights. So, tell us about it and how we've come, you have come across in the past few years. Uh, on this topic? The creep of human rights and it's the country where the first declaration of the rights of citizens has been signed, we've talked about it already. And I think that France is not doing so bad about it, although some some events, some, some restrictions are always worrying on that matter. For example, we had recently it was a huge topic in France because the government wanted to outlaw the recording of policemen doing duty. In other words, if you went on a demonstration and just were to, to be on the street and happened to take a picture or a video of a policeman, you could just be arrested and put into detention for as long as they judge necessary in order to find out if it was a, a sufficient reason to arrest you or not. And you probably know that detention without a good reason is specifically forbidden by the Universal the UN Charter of Human Rights. Also, in other topics, for example, the rights of minority languages, France hasn't signed yet 
the European Charter of Minority Languages and Nations and is yes, still legally allowed to destroy or at least to minimize the minority cultures we have. And as a Breton, I mean, I've grown up in Brittany, in the western part of France. I can have, I can observe what consequences it has on the culture of the region. Brittany is originally a Celtic nation. And after a hundred years of an official government policy of forbidding everything Breton related to the language and to the culture, I can just witness how nobody can speak the language anymore, or almost nobody. No, the region is trying to, to, to save the culture, but I think it's already too late. And discrimination because of culture, language or religion is also forbidden by the UN Charter of Human Rights. In conclusion, to, to get back to Europe, I think that we are in a situation in a situation where the human rights are not in optimal position. You, when I think about countries like Poland, like Hungary, where the national right to abortion is put in danger, uh, at Ukraine with the current war ongoing, even at Russia and Belarus with the drafting of men that is also very questionable in regard to human rights. I am very worried that the situation is not going in the right direction and I really hope that Europe as a continent will, and also as a, an idea, as a utopia almost, will be able to push forward the idea of human rights and will be able to save the people for a better future, for a future that is more free for us, more inclusive, and that respect and suit the desires of the population. Okay, thank you very much, Jean Bocas, once again, uh, for being with us and to, to speak so openly about such a, a hard topic to cover. Definitely human rights are not something we should take for granted, not even in Europe. There are many problems that we have to solve and to think in a very innovative way to solve, because although Europe, the European Union is the, the, the the region of the globe which is more concerned about upholding crucial human rights, we still uh, see, like you said, many violations of fundamental rights and crimes against humanity, especially nowadays, right in the middle of the 21st century. So, thank you very much and hope to speak to you soon. Merci encore.